We're going to jump right into this. So if uh, you would grab your sermon notes, if you got in here and you did not get sermon notes and you need these, um, we're jumping around a little bit this morning. I know for the last about 15 weeks, we've been kind of walking through one passage. Just slip up your hand and, and Emmy back there is going to run and get them. Look at what a good job Emmy's doing today. Thank you, Emmy. Man, what a bummer you're going to be leaving. I'll have to go back to Pastor Anson doing this. So. You can do it for your church at college. So I'll call the pastor, let him know. We're going to jump right into this. And I, I want to tell you, uh, over the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about our houses and what lies behind the doors of our house. And you're going to be tempted to think, oh, well, this one doesn't apply to me. You know, um, I, I've already been married or I'm not married or I don't have kids or I have kids or whatever. Um, but I, I'm telling you, think about the term reproducible. Everything we're talking about, the Lord is going to put it in your heart to be able to put it in somebody else's heart as well. Whether that's your own kids, you might be looking at your kids, Connor and Amelia, and thinking this is way down the road. Well, I'm looking at my kids and saying it comes really fast. So, so just put this into your heart, and then who knows where the Lord might lead you in this. Three things I want to tell you for sure, though. One, uh, the practical things we talk about during this series, they won't all be easy to do. Right? It just won't be that way, especially when you're talking about relationships uh, and two people are involved. They won't all be easy. So there's one. Uh, they will not match up with our contemporary culture. There's just no way to take God's way that we learn here and put it up against our contemporary culture, especially here in the U.S., and see a perfect fit in a match. It's not going to be that way. You're going to have to kind of go countercultural to put some of this stuff into practice. And here's the third one. They'll bring life as God intended. The life that God intended that comes with following him, living a life of holiness in him, that is what we'll see as well as you put these into practice. So the topic this morning is before I say I do, we are focusing especially on people who are not married yet. We're talking to our young folks especially this morning. If you're a parent and your kids are real small, all right, the day is coming too. So file away this information, right? Uh, what, before I, you say I do, what do we do? What do we look at? So some questions to consider this morning. This is an incredibly practical series. And so as we look through, we want to pull out things we can actually put into practice that we would say this would be what God's word teaches us. Pastor uh, Joel, who was my former pastor, uh, when I was working in Arizona, uh, every once in a while, we would need to uh, counsel a married couple. And he would do it in his office, and I would do it in mine. And we would never talk about what we actually talked about with that couple. That's kind of our private thing. I carry that on to today. So if you come and you talk to me, I don't talk to somebody else uh, about that. I don't go home and have that conversation with my wife. You know, I don't go home and say, let me tell you about Mike and Lori. So, no, that's... So we're talking, we're doing our counseling, but there's one thing we would say often to each other, right? We'd say, whew, you know, it really comes down to marry the right person. <laughs> marry the right person. Which was our way of saying, you need to think about beforehand, beforehand. What are you thinking about towards marriage? What are you thinking about for that life mate? And how are you processing that right now? This, I think we all know, if you have a really kind of gushing, goo-goo feeling over somebody, you know that is not strong enough to sustain a marriage, right? That's fleeting. 
it goes away. It doesn't mean it, it can't be part of marriage still, but you can't build marriage on the foundation of that. Our culture knows that. People who don't know Christ know that. But for us who are believers in Jesus Christ, there is more to building this. And there are questions for us to ask ourselves long in advance. So let's just take a look at this and we'll work through it uh, somewhat fast this morning. But there's other stuff that if you don't hear me say it, that's for your own devotion time. It's in the notes this morning. You can take a look at it during your week when you go before the Lord in the mornings. Here's the first one. What does it mean to you to be a follower of Christ? Like, what does that mean to you? For many people in our nation especially, it means you have some type of Christian belief system, right? Or it means you have some belief system that steers a little bit more towards Christian than it does anything else. Therefore, you're a Christian. A guy I work out with at the gym that I have prayed for a long, long time, the Lord opened up a door this week where I was able to sit with him and have about a two-hour conversation and an outdoor table at Starbucks. But what prompted it is he, in responding to a Facebook uh, message from me, he said, I consider myself a Christian. And I said, you know, Todd, I'm, I am really, really intrigued by that. I would love to hear more about that statement right there. What does that mean? And, and, and so I did, and he started down the path of sharing with me. Now, he would probably not be what you and I, in a biblical understanding, would call somebody who's put his faith and hope in Jesus Christ. But he leans a little bit more towards Jesus than anything else in our world. Therefore, he's a Christian in his view. What does it mean to you to be a follower of Christ? Let me tell you, as we've been talking about this, when we look at God's word, being a follower of Christ goes well beyond just our belief system. That's important. Theology is important. But it's what do we do with this thing we believe in? Our actions, our attitude, what we see as our purpose, our mission, does it line up and follow along with Christ? In fact, I've told you often, in fact, in the book of Acts, that to jump into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and to read the Gospels and ask the question, how do I line up with this guy I'm reading about, this Jesus? Many of us Christians, we just don't take the time to read that and match ourselves up because pastors have been preaching from the Gospels our whole life, right? We kind of think we know it. Why do we need to get in there ourselves? Andy Stanley once said, we fight hard for a book we don't read. And he's just getting at that idea of we need to get into the word ourselves and understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, why is that important? Because when you identify that, when you say, listen, I'm going to be a biblical follower of Christ, like what we just defined it as, actions, attitudes, purpose, mission, and then you start to consider a mate, well, this is a pretty important question to ask now. Are you okay with saying my actions, my purpose, my missions, everything is lining up behind Christ, but I would be okay walking down the altar with somebody who, I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, whatever. It's not a big deal. It's not a criteria. It's not a uh, requirement for me. Now, you don't have to do the math too quickly to know you're going to have an issue. If Christ is to be the center of your life, you're going to have an issue there. It's why in 2 Corinthians we get this passage that is used often. Youth pastors love to quote this passage, right? Well, let me share it with you and talk about what it means. It says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteous and wickedness have 
in common. Now, it's not specifically talking about marriage here, but it is talking relationally. Do not be yoked together with this. Now, sometimes we read that and we go like, oh, I shouldn't be friends with non-Christians. Well, not at all. We just spent 13 weeks walking through a book of Acts where we said build relationships with those far from God so that you can share Jesus with them. It's the term yoked there that we need to understand. Now, I'm not a farming person, so I don't know anything about historical farming really, right? So maybe you do. But do you understand uh, that uh, an, an ox would, would plow a field? You'd throw the, the ropes around them and they would plow. But what they really would do, they get the strength in, is when they would put two ox together and they would put across them, you know, that wooden thing, the rounded wooden thing, uh, the curved thing? That was the yoke. You understand this. You've probably seen pictures of this. And so what they needed to do is they needed to get two bulls that were about the same size, right? About the same size and about the same age. Why? Because when they started pulling, they needed to pull about evenly. And so you can understand that when this passage comes up to not be yoked together, that they would have understood, because there's no John Deere tractors back then, right? They would have understood what Jesus was talking about. They would have had images in their head of something that was not properly yoked together, right? Ah, well, we got this big ox out here, and ah, I don't have a second one. We'll just tie up the pig, I guess, you know, and figure it out. They, I mean, they would have known that doesn't work. In fact, I learned this week that uh, an ox can pull their body weight, right? Pull their body weight, and they can do it for an hour straight. And that's pretty impressive, right? Um, and I've learned at the gym I could, could lift my body weight over my head once, certainly not for an hour or even twice, an hour long. I mean, that's pretty impressive. But if you put two together yoked properly, they can lift or pull two times their body weight each for an hour straight. Now, that's pretty impressive. You can see the exponential growth when they're yoked properly together. Jesus is grabbing this term that would have been understood, and he is saying, don't be that way with the most significant relationships in your life. Don't be unequally yoked. You won't be able to pull properly. You won't be able to help each other, to encourage each other. Somebody's going to be doing all the work, and the, the other's going to be kind of frustrated, right? Or the one that's doing all the work is going to be frustrated, right? That's what Jesus is getting at here. So when we apply this to the most significant earthly relationship in our life, we can see how incredibly important it is that we would also find somebody that would say, what's a Christian? Oh, a Christian, somebody whose their actions, their attitudes, their purpose, their mission all line up behind Jesus. Parents, this is a great challenge in your life to build into your kids this approach so that one day when they're looking for their future spouse, they're not just looking for, you know, like, ah, he's kind of cute. You know, she's cute. You know, but they're going way, way beyond this to look and to see this. I developed a phrase in college for me when this started to become more clear, and it was basically this. It's not good enough to just be a Christian. And by that, what I'm meaning is this, is lots of people say they're Christians, but they may not line up saying my attitudes, my actions, my purpose, my mission is all centered around Christ. When I finally found that, you know, person who was also interested in me. So <laughs> that, that was a win, 
right? So the first thing is to avoid a spiritual mismatch. That's important. It's incredibly important. It's an absolute deal breaker when we look biblically to be looking for our spouse and them not to be a spiritual match for us as well. Here's the second thing. The question is this. Do you think it's okay to have sex before you get married? Now, I told you we'd push against cultural norms here because if you talk to our culture, even within many believers or, or professing Christians, they would say, well, this one's kind of over and done, right? I mean, this is an old-fashioned, old, traditional type of view that you should wait till you get married, right? In fact, now, for the last 20 years ago, the punchline of the joke is the one who chooses to wait until they get married to have sex. So let's just take a look at it and let's understand, like, where does this come from? Now, we don't need it to simply be a, a do's and don'ts, right? Where does it actually come from, from God's word? Take a look at, at Genesis 2.24. Actually, it's not in your notes. It's in your notes, but not on, uh, is it on screen? It is on the screen. My fault. This is what it says. This is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces, you might remember the word cleave in some translations, his wife. And they become one flesh. One flesh. Now, there's a lot in that quick, simple verse. In fact, you might have remembered this verse from your wedding, right? It, what it's saying here is the two actually become one. But before that, a man leaves his father and mother. And actually, if you break down that word, that leave word, it actually kind of translates more if you, if you take some other words in the Old Testament to quits his mother and father. Right? And, and the image there is, listen, I'm making a break from this being the most significant relationship, mom and dad, to this being the most significant relationship. And then it says he cleaves, clings, clutches, is close. It, there's a glue term here when we talk about this word cleave and this connection there. And then the two shall become one flesh or united. Now, if you would like to kind of break down this oneness as it relates to uh, husband and wife in the Old Testament, you can't, you can't miss that there's a sexual component to this word as well. It's almost like the, this early Hebrew understanding that it was not marriage and you can have sex within marriage. You know, like that's the Christian view. They would look at this as this, these things are together. Their understanding was Marriage and sexual interaction, that was the union together. And so they would talk about it in this term. So we can see from the very beginning, this cleaving or clutching or gluing to this one person that was going to be the most significant relationship, that that was the context from the very beginning where sex happened as well, where God ordained it, where God created and allowed sex from the very beginning. Well, we see later throughout the Old Testament that God uses the word marriage to identify. So we actually see that God is, is embracing the term marriage as well. And so it would make sense now that we would understand today that this, nothing has changed, that the context that God has blessed for sex is in the context of marriage. It's in that context. Now, I realize the last survey I shared with you, 97% of people have confessed that they've had sex before marriage. Now, this was people over about a 10-year span. 
So maybe if you talk to your grandparents, they don't fit into this survey, right? A little bit younger crowd. 97%. That would tell us that Christians are abandoning this understanding of sex in the context of marriage. But it's what's God's ordained from the beginning. If we actually look through his, his word uh, in Romans, we see what happens when we live up to please ourselves. And we actually find an interesting thing when we choose to say, you know, hey, nice suggestion, God, but I'll kind of go my own route. I'll find my own thing, right? Go my own way. We actually find in the, that passage in Romans, which is long, I'm not going to read the whole uh, thing to you, but here's what happens when he talks about all these ways that they basically considered their own ways instead of God's. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to their heart's desire, which led them to the moral corruption of degrading their own bodies with each other. They traded God's truth for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creation instead of the creator who is blessed forever. W what happened here? God basically sat back and said, if that's what you want, if that's what you want, go for it. But you got to endure everything that comes with it. Everything that comes with that. And notice how he says uh, that which their moral corruption of degrading their own bodies with each other. And they serve creation rather than the creator. When we put anything in front of God here, then God says, you know, like, if that's what you want, but you got to deal with what comes with it. And certainly that's true in the area of sexual interaction as well. I realize our TV shows, our movies, make it so casual that there's nothing wrong with having a sexual partner, no big deal. And there's no relational ramifications with it as well. But if you run out there today and say, I think I'll live that over the next few weeks that way, you'll realize right away that is a fantasy and a make-believe scene we see on TV and movies. In reality, it has deep relational issues. Why? Because of the term we just talked about, the two will become one, that sexual component is in there. And so when we're seeking sex outside of that person that we're seeking in marriage and waiting till marriage, then we're bringing a oneness in when that's not the time for the oneness. We actually ask the next question, how, would, how has God called Christians to be different and to look different? First Thessalonians 4, 8, we, we get this passage that I won't read the whole thing uh, to you as well, but God's will is that your lives are dedicated to him. This means that you stay away from sexual immorality and learn how to control your own body in pure and respectful ways. I like how it says it there because it's not beating around the bush, right? All of us adults understand this issue of controlling your body, right? I remember when Shree and I were dating and we had committed, we're going to wait till we're married to have sex. That didn't mean this verse on controlling did not come into play. I don't want to gross you out, you know, talking about physical life of your pastor, but control, that was a big deal, and really putting boundaries in place and thinking through those type of things were important because, because of that urge. But God's will is that you live lives dedicated to him. The writer, Paul here, is basically saying, look, if we would get God in line first and keep walking that way and pointing our eyes, that keeps us walking 
the correct direction as well, even when it's hard. The passage at the end in Hebrews, the writer says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed be kept pure. For God will be the judge, will judge the adulterer, right? We know that's bad. I mean, if you're with somebody, you don't go break up that marriage, right? But listen to the end, and the sexually immoral as well. Now, sometimes when we think sexually immoral, we, we think of all kinds of things, and all kinds of things do fit into that. But sex outside the context of marriage, that is the overarching understanding of sexual immorality. That's what it actually means outside of that context. So we're looking to not to avoid the mismatch. We're looking to say, look, this, this whole thing of physical interaction and sex is incredibly important to God. And he's designed a beautiful context for it. A couple practical things, and then we'll come back to a Bible passage to think about. What are your career goals? Where are you going in life as well? Uh, this is incredibly important. Where are you going? What's important to you? I left some blanks for you if you've never thought through it, especially if, if you're one of our younger folks and you've never thought through right now, what is my career? What am I headed for in life? You don't have to have it all squared away, right? Number one major in college is, is undecided. So for freshmen, it's okay, right? It takes a little time. What about marriage? Like, are you one that said, like, I want to be married? I, I, I mean, that's important to think through that and to ask that question. For some of us, we grew up, or you grew up, in a, a rough marriage situation, a really rough setting. And you're like, I don't even want to get close to that. I don't have anything to do with that. Because you have this understanding of something that may not be God's biblical view of it. Where does God fit into this? Where's your God goals? I mean, are, are your goals like, hey, we'll get to church. A couple Sundays a month, we'll go together. We'll get there somewhat on time, and we'll leave right at the end, and that'll be God for us, right? Maybe he'll come up in conversation. We'll pray before meals, and that's, that'll be it. Or you say, look, I feel a call to the mission field. I want to plug into my local church and serve with the kids. You know, I want to go up and help at lot regularly. I, you know, you want to think through those things. What are your goals there? How about children? This is a really important one to ask. Do you have a desire to have Kids, it's a really bad time right after you're married to understand and learn that your spouse does not want to have kids ever. And so these are practical things to think through. Let me bring us back to what we talked about at the beginning, though. In Matthew 6, 33, says it, give God his first place in their life and live as he wants you to, starting with God. And these things will develop and be answered. Here's a great question to ask yourself. What was it like growing up in your family? A couple questions, you know, who, who were you closer to, mom or dad? Who was in charge, your mom or dad? Which sibling were you in the family, right? Now, these are just important things to remember because it helps you relationally to know how you match up with someone else. These are actually, these would not be biblical absolutes if your you know, spouse was closer to her mom and you were closer to your dad. That's fine. But thinking through those or understanding those would be important getting into it. How did this person grow up? How did they function as a family? What's the dynamic that's been built into them? What's your dynamic? Can you come together and function well 
in that type of area. And five, let me bring us back. What are your expectations going into marriage? Unreal expectations will cause dissatisfaction in your marriage. What are your expectations? Listen, young folks especially, let me share with you a passage. You probably already know it because you've gone to a wedding. Or somebody shared it or your youth pastor shared it. Cecil, you probably shared this with the teens, right? This passage about love, because we almost always put it in the marriage context. Listen to what it says. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Does it ring a bell now? Love is kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Do you remember that one? How many of you had that read at your wedding? It was in your wedding somehow. Yeah? Uh, I bet it's more than just you, Patty. The rest of you just don't remember your weddings, huh? Yeah, okay. Yeah. If I did your wedding, all right, it was in there. Oh, yeah. But when we read that passage, what do we do? Our knee jerk for most people is to read that passage and think, I would like to find somebody who is patient, somebody who's kind and somebody who's not jealous and doesn't brag, isn't arrogant. And listen, young folks, I, I would certainly encourage you to find somebody like that would be great, right? It would be super. I mean, if somebody came to me, a young couple, and said, like, I am, I mean, we're just so head over heels. We just really, I just really like this guy, but there's one problem. Yeah, what is that? I mean, he's so arrogant, just over the top. I might say, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a big problem. So look for that, absolutely. But I want to make sure you first and foremost flip this around and ask yourself, is this me? Am I allowing God to develop patience in me? Has God helped me to be kind? Am I jealous? Do I brag? Am I arrogant? Am I rude? Because this is what I've learned in 25 years of marriage. <laughs> almost blew that one. 25 years of marriage. 26 years of knowing each other is what I was going to say. In 25 years of marriage, I have learned this. There are far more times when I can bring health and healing even to our marriage when I turn and look about how I can be patient to Sheree or how it can be kind and compassionate versus demanding that from her back to me. And there's something, too, about when I choose to do that or when she chooses to do it to me intentionally where the other person then responds in kind, then understands, yeah, that's probably the better route for us to be patient with each other. And listen, I'm a, I'm a fixer. Tree's a processor. Do you know about the word patience when one person's a fixer and one person's a processor? I want to fix it on the moment, right? We've got a five-minute drive from here today. Let's get this knocked out, right? Shree wants to process it for a couple days and then come back. So me learning offer patience, offer. And then I'm like, man, that's really good that we process that because this is not what I was thinking in that five-minute journey, right? I would have really blown it. When we start thinking thinking of how to be this for others. Listen, young people, become these things. Become these. Now, you don't need to worry about missing somebody because these things are incredibly attractive, right? And people will be, that spouse will be attracted to you if you are these things. So don't stress and worry 
about that. Here's the phrase I want to give you. What does love require? That's the phrase. What does love require of you? These things. Being like this. Here's the takeaway. Which questions do you need to consider before you say I do? Listen, if, you, if you're not even out there dating, if you're like, man, this is, this is not, or if your kids are really young right now and say, Tom, please quit talking about my kids getting married, right? Uh, it, then you're looking at maybe one or two over here, and you're saying, hey, in number one or two, these first couple questions, how do I start building these things into my kids now? Now, don't wait till they're 19 and say, oh, hey, by the way, I forgot to ever tell you. You know, maybe just look for a Christian. So start now. Build that into them now. But if you're actually like, you know, like you're dating somebody and, and, and you're like, now you're asking some questions of, hey, is this the real good compatible match? They love the Lord. I love the Lord. You know, we're tracking. You might want to ask question three or four a little, a, a little more direct and say, you know, is this life partner all the way? Are there some things to talk through or work through that wouldn't exclude us getting married, but things we might need to think about? But we're all together on number five, thinking about this is the way God needs to develop me now and how I need to surrender before him. Be this instead of just demanding this of someone else. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to build into this idea, before you say, I do, what do we think about? Father, as, uh, as this group goes away and processes some of those questions, especially those who are still looking towards marriage or, or parents who want to build into their kids, Father, would we stay centered completely in front of you? And then would we ask these questions, even if they're difficult to answer, even if they go against culture? We'll pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if I can pray for you in any way in this this week, let me know, especially on the prayer text tomorrow, or give me a call. Send me an email, and I'd love to get together uh, as well. Uh, ice cream nights.